Hi, this is Robert Fleming, one of the partners in the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. And you're listening to Elder Law Issues, our weekly podcast, where I and my partner, Elizabeth Noble Rollins Freeman, usually talk to you about issues that are elder law related, hence the name Elder Law Issues. I think, I think these issues concern everybody, Robert, and uh, at 40 years old, I am not yet elderly. Well, you know, we could do a whole podcast on the on the uh, the one law that says you just became elderly, and that would be the Age Discrimination and Employment Act, which applies to people over age 40. So you see, Elizabeth, the federal government has said, <laughs> you, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, are now elderly. Uh-oh. But we're not going to talk about the Age Discrimination and Employment Act today. We're going to talk about Alternative dispute resolution. You know, lawyers come up with the sexiest, most fun names for things. Arbitrations, mediations, alternative dispute resolution. Yeah, it all sounds kind of vague, Robert. Well, and we want to talk about a particular corner of that area. So anytime you have a dispute in an estate, you, you are the personal representative and you and your siblings can't agree on how to divide things. One of your choices is to use alternative dispute resolution. If everybody can agree, a mediator can can handle the the division or the decision. If uh, if everybody can agree, you can even turn it over to an arbitrator rather than having to go to a to a judge. But what we want to talk about today is including mediation, arbitration, or alternative dispute resolution provisions in your estate plan. I've seen that more recently. It's been around as an idea for 20 years. It's been a possibility under Arizona law explicitly for most of those 20 years. But I'm just now beginning to see some of those cases. And I've seen a couple of them in the last six months. Maybe you have as well, Elizabeth, where the trust or the will orders everybody into arbitration or into mediation. Robert, I've seen a few of these. And I think the end goal that many people have is to reduce conflict, reduce fees that are incurred as a result of conflict. And many folks, when we meet with them about their estate planning, they're really focused on something like a no, no contest clause because in their, in their world or, or imagination, having a clause to discourage conflict is going to be magical and people won't fight just because there's this, you know, clause in the document. And, and what I find is, is that kind of misses the overall point. There can be reasons, reasons to include what's called an, um, a non, no contest clause or interim provision. But at the end of the day, if there is some kind of dispute, it can be very, very helpful if somebody has created some structure around how parties can resolve it. And, and keep in mind, folks, that not all disputes are created equal. Some of them are really legitimate disputes. Reasonable minds might differ about how to make a division of the estate or, or how to, uh, to handle the administration of the estate. And you may not want to say, if reasonable minds differ, if my two kids can't get along, then one of them is going to be disinherited. That's a pretty draconian kind of outcome. And, uh, and so you might want to include a provision that says, if they can't agree, Rather than lawyering up and going down to the courthouse, they have to submit their their dis- disagreement to uh, a trained mediator 
or they have to have a fairly informal arbitration proceeding. Everything will get done more quickly. Maybe they'll still go to Thanksgiving dinner together after the dispute. What's what's our track record with Thanksgiving dinners after disputes? Well, Robert, I will tell you the holidays are generally challenging times to have conflict. Usually when we see conflict arise in the middle of the holidays, we try and discourage people from making any big, long term decisions and instead encourage them to come back and see us in January, February, after the craziness of the holidays abate. I think I want to spend a moment when we talk about these different forms of dispute resolution and remind everybody that in order to proceed outside of the courtroom and have somebody neutral like a, a mediator that, that would all parties would agree to, it does involve people coming together to have some general discussion to admit that there is a dispute in the first place. If you have parties and two people feel that there's conflict and two people are not aware of the conflict whatsoever, all of a sudden you kind of start in a wonky spot. So in order for um, a dispute resolution process to really be practical and effective, I think everybody has to agree that there would be some benefit to engaging in, in a process to resolve the dispute. Even if somebody doesn't care too deeply about the dispute and they don't consider themselves um, somebody who's central to the agreement or decision making, everybody needs to get involved. So that is a kind of a, a critical issue to address up front because if somebody's not going to participate, then no matter what the documents say, it's going to be really hard to move forward effectively. Uh, you know, Elizabeth, we've been throwing around mediator and arbitrator as if Everyone knew the difference and understood what the terms meant, and that's very lawyerly of us. We probably ought to pause a moment and distinguish between mediators and arbitrators. So when I think about a mediator, Robert, I think about someone who is going to come in, who's going to discuss the different issues at the table with the various parties, might meet with them all together or not, and try to see if there's some common ground, if there's some pathway to resolution that everybody agrees to and that might be blessed through a court order or might be blessed through some other terms of an agreement. But the mediator's job is to help parse out what are the the elements and the issues and where's the common ground so that maybe there is a solution. An arbitrator is really a decision maker, Robert, in, in a much different role than a mediator. Mediators um, trying to help people's best ideas, I think, shine to come up with a collaborative solution. It involves a lot of consensus building when you're meeting with a mediator. And the, the key from the participant's perspective is a mediation requires everybody to agree at the end of the day. As you say, there's going to have to be some give and take. And a good mediator, we hope, has some familiarity with the legal issues so that they can say to people, hey, I've done this enough times. I can tell you, if you go to trial, you will lose. So you ought to be a little bit more accommodating. But if you just are dug in and will not agree, a mediator can't help you. Uh, you, have to, you have to participate. But as you say, Elizabeth, an arbitrator is like a kind of a junior judge, uh, somebody without a staff and a robe and, a, and the high costs associated with it, but, uh, but who can get the, the resolution decided more quickly. Uh, so they're very different ideas, but alternative dispute resolution um, includes them and also rock, paper, scissors and any other kind of creative idea you can come up with. 
to avoid having to go to court. And Robert, I think creative ideas is exactly the right phrase to use. Most often when we find that there is a dispute or people are really far apart on the issues, um, being creative can kind of break the ice and and if people can think a little bit differently about those issues that often creates pathway to to some agreement and and some solutions it's when people get really entrenched in the way that they see the issue or really emotional about you know their stake um, that's when it becomes very very hard to try and get get folks to think creatively so just to uh, refresh back to where we started People who are in disputes about resolving an estate or a trust can always agree to mediation, arbitration, rock, paper, scissors, um, or whatever will resolve the, the dispute. But we're talking about you as the person whose estate is at issue, putting language in your documents that says, hey, children, rather than going to court automatically, you have to consider these alternatives. And we are a big fan of the alternatives because the reality is when there's a legal dispute that goes to court, the people who almost always win are us, the lawyers. We make way more money than we would in a case where people were behaving better and and getting along a little bit better. We don't love getting wealthy on those cases. And Robert, I think in, in those cases where there's ongoing conflict, oftentimes people don't recognize that the cost of the conflict is going to come right out of their own their own interest in the estate. So somebody may end up having um, fifteen thousand dollars less than they would have otherwise because they're actually going to have to pay themselves. It's not just the trustee or one beneficiary, but everybody is going to be impacted by the fees. Uh, mandatory arbitration arrangements in estate plans—it's a thing. And, uh, and we'd love to talk with you about them if that's an appropriate way to deal with your estate. Of course, everybody we talk to, Elizabeth, they assure us their kids are all going to get along famously, and they, they, they've always gotten along, and, and that won't change when they die. And that's not what we see, is it? No, Robert. I'm Robert Fleming. I've been chatting with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We are the partners in the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. We do this elder law issues podcast on a more or less weekly basis, and we would love to have you join us again next week. Thanks.